He wants you. He wanted them. He wants to have Eden back with all your faces in it. That's what he wants. And he will tell you exactly how that is to be done. And then, this must be done. The only question is whether you say, thank you very much, which is faith, or if you say, I think I'm smarter than that. I think I might have a better idea. This is just the idea. This is just the same old story. So here it is. Uh, Jesus does that. And I also give you the Matthew 18. You know, people, especially in the new members class, but also when we talk generally, when people really get cranked about something around here, when they really feel like they've been wronged, the regular response that we give, both in school and in churches, have you gone to speak with them? And the normal answer is, I haven't gone to speak with them because they're the ones who did it to me. But of course, here for Jesus, in Matthew 18, and also in Leviticus 4, it is God who is the victim, if you will. It is God's honor that, that even those who've been offended against move to make it right. And God makes the first move. God shows you how this is to be done. Okay. Point three. I just observe this. Uh, I don't even know how to talk to you about this because it is... Uh, I'm going to talk to you generally about something very specifically. But I, I don't want to talk specifically because then it gets too close to people who've been to see me. And the worst thing that I can do in my experience with confirmation kids, with new members, with the general population who walks through the door, there is no longer a perfect together before they were married. People knew that they should come to church on Sunday morning. People knew you know, that they should be, pick something. Do you know that is no longer in the consciousness of most people? We're in a different era now. Those prohibitions that you and I grew up with, and I, maybe I'm the last generation, people 10 years younger than me, no longer, everybody they know is living together. Everybody they know is intoxicated in some form on the weekend. Everybody they know, you just fill in the blank. We no longer, there, it's not, you know, when I grew up, and, and those before me, you grew up and there was a line and people sort of crossed it. But they still knew there was a line. In this age, this is a fascinating thing, people no longer know there's a line. This is remarkable stuff. Because we, 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 we often, in our teaching, get the response, nobody ever told me that. It's fascinating. So the church's got a lot of work to do. And part of it is this point three, which are, there are, in fact, divine boundaries. One of the reasons, you know, Leviticus for anybody, you know, you, you, if you want to sleep or sit down and read through the whole chapter of Leviticus. But part of the point is, part of the point is that the Lord is holy and you're not. And that the Lord has standards and you violate them. And I do too. See, there are divine boundaries. There are divine prohibitions. Now, we can talk about why if a gecko falls on your pillow, you know, you need to go outside the camp. I mean, you know, it's not that geckos are, you know, intrinsically bad, or are they? But, you know, we can talk about why that is. It has to do with defining who the people of, of God are. But the point is there are divine boundaries. There are divine prohibitions. And if you cross them, you are defiled. You're unclean. You're polluted. I tried to give you, you know, all those uh, adjectives when we started. And I tried to describe to you how when missionaries go into different cultures, there's, there's still in those cultures a much greater sense of pollution, of uncleanliness, and so of guilt and shame. You know, frankly, in our age, 
people hardly get guilty and are ashamed about anything. I mean, you only have guilt and shame if there's a line that you've crossed and you're cognizant of that. Otherwise, you know, just carry on. Um, so here's the thing. There are divine prohibitions. There are divine boundaries. You and I are meant to observe them. When we don't observe them, it shatters the world. One of the things, and I, I've said this to you before, but one of the things that I was most probably, you know, on the list of the top five things that I was unprepared for when I became a pastor was the pervasiveness of evil. And I just was not ready for that. I wasn't ready for how, how thoroughgoing it would be in the lives of my people. I wasn't prepared for how thoroughgoing it would be in my own life. I wasn't aware of how oppressive it would be. I wasn't aware of what Leviticus is trying to teach here. That when people sin in a community, it doesn't just shatter their life. It shatters the lives of their family, spouses and kids. It shatters the life of their congregation. In Leviticus, there's a very strong sense that when you sin, it's not just your business, which is how we talk about it in America. No, you shatter space and time. You shatter things. You shatter the rhythm of life. You destroy life as it is meant to be lived. And that, you see, in a moment, is why this ritual that people go through is so intense. Because the, the, the sin is so pervasive. The sin is so intense. It breaks space and time and people and community and land and altar and the connection with God. It's like it's unplugged and everything is dead. Okay? Because evil is so pervasive, then you need an extremely pervasive cure, which suddenly you should say to yourself, ah, that's the reason Jesus died on the cross. That's the reason it was like that. If you have a lot of evil, you need a very pervasive cure. If you just got little sins, just have the little plastic Jesus, you know, on the dashboard. If you got great big sins, you, friends, you need a great big Jesus. So here's what happens. Even for unintended sins. And it's so interesting. It's kind of fun to do this one because, you know, we can all recognize, you know, big sins. The, the, you know, the, the, the deadly sins, the mortal sins. Murder, we all sort of, yeah, well, we all sort of hum and haw about that. Yeah, that's a, but see, this is how pervasive even unintended sin is. It's at least by God's measuring, by his reckoning. Okay, here we go. So, uh, sometimes the priest does a, a public sin. And uh, sometimes people, you know, do sins. And when that happens, this is the last thing on the first page, these not only defile holy people, remember that's your starting point, you're holy and now you've violated the standard, but you also violate the holy place, the sanctuary is unclean, holy things, the altar is unclean and not to be used. The ritual, the sacrifices of ground to a halt, Holy time, now your morning and evening is ruined. Okay, and all of life. Okay, so flip over. So how's the Lord going to fix that mess? Okay, the antidote. Atonement lies in the blood. And now remember that blood means life. Why does blood mean life? Because blood bears oxygen to your brain. And when you're out of oxygen, you are... Uh, gee, maybe I can make it up to you. Holiness is an all-or-nothing game. So you're all in or all out. You're dead or alive. That's how holiness works. 
You know, we sort of, we live. It's a very easy world to negotiate in some ways, and then not. Please. Right. That's a great question. That's a great question, which is he remembers that not the Levites, uh, Aaron's boys, God, when the priest of the case didn't, didn't have property. Uh, there are people who tithe off their goods to the church, and that's required. And that would be sort of a tithe of everything. So there are things available, or they tithe money and can be easily bought. You remember, that's why Jesus caused such a ruckus in the back of a church. Uh, there's a bit of skimming going on. It was just a, your typical Vegas operation. There's somebody in the back with a lot of suitcases and, you know. So it's a great question, right. By, by rights, they, they're not having their own things, but they are, are provided in some way. Uh, when the, you see, this is always like, this is like a flare going up when the altar guild women move. And I'm only like 20% through what I think I'm going to talk about. That's, uh, that's a bad sign for me. But it's a good sign for them. Okay, so the atonement lies in the blood. So now let's just take the pieces apart. Okay, you have a bull for the priest or the <coughs> congregation. So, you know, leaders pay up, basically. Why? You know, that was the head of the domesticated livestock. The bull was top of the food chain. And if you're a priest and you sin, you pay up. Or if the congregation falls into a great sin, think golden calf. Okay, think convention at the Lord. I wish we'd go back to Egypt. You know, when the congregation falls into these giant sins, or the priest, who's supposed to be, uh, even though he's not a holy man himself, is supposed to be impeccable in life, in word and deed, when he sins. Uh, the point is, uh, here's the Lord's choices. You can kill the high priest, or you can kill a substitute for the high priest. What would a suitable substitute be? Well, he's the high priest, so we sort of move over and go to the head of the food chain, and it's a bull. Does that make sense? Just simple symbolic stop. Uh, you sort of slide down then, a male goat for leaders, you know, this is a president of the congregation, elders, and Augie uh, who takes care of the buildings and grounds, you know, anybody who takes, you know, you, 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 any sort of high level public leader in the congregation or family. Well, you bring the goat, why? And it's kind of clever, because normally, even though rams are the most aggressive, even though rams are the most aggressive normally in any flock, they're frankly not the leaders. It is uh, the male goats who lead the flock, normally to pasture and water. Okay, so you pull something out like the thing that sinned. In the same way, female goats for the lay folk, uh, because you know goats and sheep, female goats and sheep were the bulk. You know they're the congregation. We're like sheep who have gone astray. So uh, that's what you bring. To make the point. Why? In the church, everything teaches. So you wander in, and everybody's in a tizzy. You come home for Thanksgiving break. And you know, all of Israel is in a tizzy. And then you see uh, the bull go under the altar, and you say, man, it must have been the high priest again. It's like that, you see. You learn something as you go. Right? Says, you know, where's mom? Well, she's taking a goat over to the priest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mom's at it again. Okay. See, you learn something. Everything teaches as you go. Everything all, see? And then you put your hands on it and say, this is the one that's going up there for me. Because the Lord is going to, 
the Lord is going to do that. It's like raking a sand trap, you know. The Lord is going to then reestablish the line. Okay, so this is mine. Make this better. This is the one I'm bringing. Okay. And then, then maybe this is the last thing I can do today. The blood is used to cleanse everything. And you see, that's why the ritual is so engaged. Because the blood is used to... Everything is defiled, so everything needs to be cleaned. It's like if you go away on vacation and leave your kids home alone. You come home and what happens? Everything needs to be cleaned. It's like that. See? People and places and things and rituals and time and life. All that got broken, now all that needs to be fixed. So you don't just have this splashing. You know, we had the, 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 the optional, personal offerings. You saw a bit of the splashing. You know, and that was, it was, it was your, there's blood for you now, and you can go home and think, well, no, this is going to be, you know, this is Christmas Day. This is, uh, this is big deal stuff. This is, this is Easter-ish, okay? We got to get busy here. So what, what happens here, right? What happens? You uh, get the blood and bleed it out of the victim. Now you've got a life to use. How will you use that life? With his right finger, the priest dips his finger in the blood and goes as close as he can to the Lord without being cooked. He can only go into the Holy of Holies. He can only go through the curtain one time a year on the Day of Atonement. So he goes as closely as he can to the curtain. And on the floor in front, he takes the victim's blood and he splashes it on the floor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Why seven? Because that's completeness. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, that's completeness. Eight is the number of resurrection, redundness, but seven is the number of completeness. Seven days in creation. Go to the last chapter of the, of the Bible. Everything is in sevens. Even the epistle last week was in sevens. You know, churches and, and words, here it goes. Okay, so he does it. And what he's doing is saying, uh, we're bringing this space back. Okay, somebody has died. That washes away. That evens the score. That reestablishes the boundary. That reconnects us with the Lord. So first the space gets hallowed. The church building comes back. Okay. Then he moves to the altar. And... You have to remember that altars were often built with horns, occasionally in, uh, you can see them actually, they found one or two, They've, there are a couple of them around. And what happens is on the corner, on each corner, there's a horn actually, it's a protrusion that comes out, one, two, three, four, and it's as if it marks the nexus, the intersection uh, of God and humanity. Why do we kneel? Because God meets us at the altar. Why do we bow? Because we've come to the place where the Lord is present. So first we bring the space back. Okay? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Then next you take the blood and you actually smear it onto the altar to redeem it. I don't know if you, I don't know, occasionally you have horrible things that happen in churches. There are even, you know, occasionally you have, you have, you have murders or some sort of desecration. And regularly then what happens is, you have a service where you re-consecrate, that is, re-hallow. You engage the evil that has come into your midst, and you erase it. Right? Say, so this is the Lord's space again, and this is the Lord's altar again. Okay, you got it? 
So this is reclaiming. So the Lord retakes his space. You rub the blood. Uh, I'm sorry, you sprinkle the blood in front of the curtain. The Lord retakes his altar. So now he says, I'll work here again. So, uh, so now you've got a thing. First you've got space. Then you took this thing, right? So now there's a place for you to meet God. Then suddenly there's a place where you can bring offerings again. Okay? Then flip your page over. And the rest of that blood then is poured at the base of the altar so that nobody else can use it. In, in, you remember in the voluntary offerings, they were sort of divvying up of the goods. You take this, we'll take this. And they even eat meals together. Not here. There's no deal making. There's no sort of back and forth thing. Not when, it's, not when it engages this kind of a sin. In this kind of a sin, somebody has died and that death belongs to God. So the blood is sprinkled, the blood is smeared, and the blood is poured out. That's the Lord's blood, it's the Lord's life, and you can't be using it for anything else. In the same way for the fat. Now, unless you had Miss Duff's uh, dissection class, or you worked in a slaughterhouse, you may not know all this stuff. You know, I had to kind of relearn this. But the way animals are constructed is there's quite a lot of fat around the entrails. and face the, In fact, the kidneys, you know, get encased. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of I didn't remember this from my, you know, biology class. There's an appendage that comes out from the kidney. And you notice it's very, it's very important uh, in the directions that that's pulled out. Okay, now you say to yourself, now why would the Lord do that? One is, you know, fat and marrow were, in Middle Eastern, you know, were in Middle Eastern culture considered delicacies, so that's part of it. But also, they had illicit use. That is, um, you know, the entrails with the fat and the kidney, the appendage from the kidneys, were used to tell the future. They were used to. They, they it's basically used for sorcery. You're trying, trying to see the future. What's going on? And so, in this great move, the Lord says, "I'm taking that away from you. You can't." You can't have that. You can't be tempted by that. You can't be trusted by that. Those bits I take away. So I give you kind of a long description there. But the point is that pagan people misused fat and entrails on a regular basis, and the Lord just says, that's not you. If you need to know anything, I'll tell you, which then all your friends who are becoming witches, which is one of the fastest growing religions in America, all your friends who want to become witches um, will say to you, it's white power and good spells, and knowledge that you can't get other ways. And one of the things you say to him is this, God doesn't want you to know that, God doesn't want you to touch that, and God doesn't want you to do that. Okay, that's how you get at witchcraft today. It is in, even if it does bring a real peek at the future, it is in fact an illicit peek. It's stealing from God. Because only God is meant to know those things. It's the same thing here. So first he purifies, and this is brilliant, first he, first he washes and cleanses everything, space, time, utensils. You know, just like when we get a new organ, or you know, soon we'll have, I think, new communion equipment. We've just about gone through ours, new, new chalice. We, you know, we, there will be a, or the pall. You remember we blessed the pall, drew it into the service. That's what they did here. And then he takes away, as a secondary thing, anything that can be used in a bad way. He protects you from temptation. It's a boundary. You know, it's the way that you don't engage pornography. It's the way you don't engage drugs. It's the way you don't engage things that are tempting to you. The Lord does exactly the same thing. 
And then last thing, and then we got to, wow, then we got to go. The carcass is taken outside what? There's no meal, there's no back and forth, there's no community uh, ritual. The carcass is taken outside the camp and burned. Now, inside the camp, you remember, I drew that the very first week where there, the Holy of Holies is the center of life, the Ark of the Covenant. And around that is the sanctuary, the holy place, and around that is uh, the tabernacle, and around that is the camp, and around that is the people. But you go beyond that boundary, that's frightening out there. You're safe when you're within the holiness, when you're within the big circle, all is well. When you go outside that, it's dangerous out there. That's the places where lepers go, sick people. If we have to execute somebody, that's where that's done. You know, there are pagans out there who don't believe. It's where the demons live in the wilderness. So you can't say outside the camp is automatically evil, but what you can say is it's a fist fight. So uh, the carcass is taken out there, and it is completely burned up in a bonfire. You can't use it. That life belongs to God by right. And that's the only way that things are put back together. It is, in fact, the only way that atonement is made. And when that is done, this is the last thing I'll say, when that is done, all is well. And you see, the line in the sand that was obliterated by your sin or mine, that line is rechalked. And the friction that was between us is undone. And the hatefulness that passes between people, person and person, or God and, 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 a, and a person, that is erased. And the rhythm of life is restored. With the warning, don't do that again. Man, is that painful. When you do that, somebody's got to die. If we as a congregation, as we as a church body, if the church in the world could come to that understanding that there's holiness and non-holiness, there's life and there's death, and that the Lord institutes his gifts to bring us into life, and when we step outside those, our lives become ambiguous and beyond that deadly for us, if we could get that, you know, then we would understand what the Lord has been on about from Leviticus all the way through, you know, Christ and into the church today. You know, he loves you, he wants you back, cares for you, but use that well. All right, let's pray and let's go. Thank you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Jonathan Mueller, if you're here, could I see you just for a second? If you stuck around. He's, yeah, okay, he's with kids. I got it. And his, and his sick wife. Got it. Thanks.